Welcome to Victory Christian Center's audio podcast. We hope this message encourages you, and we look forward to connecting with you on social media or FCCFMD.com. And so if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning to the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 12. So last week we, we covered Operation Evacuation. This week we are looking at Operation Tribulation. And we're going to be looking at the entirety of Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 beginning at verse 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Is your name written in the book this morning? Verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So he who wins souls is what? Wise and will shine like the stars. How many of you want to shine like the stars? Verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? Take a look at verse 7. And I heard the man who was clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. Now this is significant, because to hold up one of your hands to heaven during this time in Scripture meant you were, you were swearing by that it was something that was going to happen. But to hold up two hands was saying, there is no doubt that this is going to come to pass. Take a look at verse 8. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O oh my Lord, what shall the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from that time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest 
and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you again this morning for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we dive into it this morning and begin to unpack some of these prophecies, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us clarity and understanding about what it is that we are going to read together this morning. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Now you might be wondering if we're talking about the tribulation, why are we going all the way back to the Old Testament and looking in the book of Daniel? Well, there's many places in scripture that refer to the time of the end, and one of those books is Daniel. You can also find it in Revelation, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Peter. You can read about this time in the book of Jeremiah. You can read it in the, in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. I would encourage you to go home and read both of those chapters. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 24. So all through scripture, we find evidence pointing to this great tribulation. Last week, we talked about Operation Evacuation. We talked about the rapture of the church, how it will be a signless event, how the signs that we see are pointing to the great tribulation and pointing to the second coming of Christ. The rapture it is what is known as an imminent event, meaning it can happen any instant, at any moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And so you and I have to be ready for the soon and coming return of Jesus Christ. Because let me tell you this morning, not everybody that comes to church on Sunday morning and sings when we all get to heaven is going to be going to heaven. We have to be ready because Jesus is coming back soon for his spotless bride. And so the tribulation is a seven-year period that's going to immediately follow the rapture of the church. And we see this in verse 1. It's referred to in some versions as a time of trouble or a time of distress. Depending on the version you read, it might read a little differently. But we know that this time of tribulation will be marked by the signing of a peace treaty with Israel by the Antichrist. This peace treaty will be sp spoken and it will be lasting for seven years. However, the Antichrist will break that covenant three and a half years into that peace treaty that he has made. There are some Christians who believe that, that the church will go through the first three and a half years of the tribulation. There are some who believe the church will go through the entire seven years of the tribulation. I personally believe, as does the Assemblies of God, that the church will be raptured prior to the seven years of tribulation. Now, if you look in the book of Revelation, I just want to give you a little more context with that. If you look in the book of Revelation and you look in the original text, you look in the Greek, the word revelation in the Greek is where we get our word apocalypse. And if you look at the meaning of the word apocalypse, it means the lifting of the veil. It means to uncover, to unveil something. And that is exactly what the book of Revelation is intended to do for you and I. It's intended to lift the veil. It's intended to uncover the events that are going to be evident before Jesus returns the second time. So that you and I as his church, as his bride, can prepare ourselves so that we're ready for his return. Now, if you look at the first three chapters of the book of Revelation,
Revelation, the church is mentioned quite a lot. In fact, in chapter 3, it's all about the church. We have the seven letters to the seven churches. But then if you move into chapter 4 and you look throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, it's kind of like, okay, what happened to the church? Where is it? I'm not seeing it. And friends, I believe that that's because the church is going to be raptured, taken up with Jesus before that time of great tribulation. I heard one pastor defend that stance this way. He said, you know, God poured out his wrath on Jesus while he was on the cross so that you and I did not have to experience it. And if God spared us from his wrath at that time in history, why would he allow us to be on the earth for seven years of his judgment and wrath being poured out on the world? I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the saving grace of Jesus this morning. I believe that when the rapture of the church occurs, that it is going to strike such chaos and panic in the world. People are not going to know what happened. They're not going to know what to do. They are going to be longing for a leader who can come in and unify and bring peace and make sense of all of the chaos that they are living in. And it is at this time that I believe the world will see the rise of the Antichrist, who is going to promise to bring peace with the nation of Israel for seven years. And this marks the beginning of the 70th week that we read about in Daniel chapter 10. Now, we don't know for sure how long after the rapture of the church that the tribulation is going to begin, but I would speculate that it's not going to be too entirely long before that happens, that we see the rise of the Antichrist. And so I know that there are people today that look at the different peace treaties that have been made over the years with Israel. And you say, well, is this, is this the peace treaty that scripture talks about? Is this it? The president just made one with Israel. Is this the peace treaty? I do not believe that that is the peace treaty. This treaty that is made is going to be made for seven years. It marks the beginning of the tribulation. And I believe that the peace treaty that our country just made with Israel is going to be instrumental in the unfolding of that peace treaty that is yet to come. We know that the Antichrist will break this covenant three and a half years into it, according to Daniel 9, 27. Here's what it says. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. So one week, when Daniel refers to that here, is talking about seven years. But in the middle of the week, three and a half years into it, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Now listen to Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. He shall speak great words against the Most High. And this next part just makes my heart cringe. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws. So the Antichrist is going to establish his own set of laws, his own set of ordinances. He's going to seek to change times. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. It's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Until a time, times, and a dividing of time, some versions say a half a time. And so I want to give you just a little bit of insight to how to calculate what Daniel is saying here. 
When Daniel says a time, he's referring to one year. When he says times, plural, with an S, he's referring to two years. When he says the dividing of time, or a half time, he's referring to a half of a year. So when we add them all together, a time, times, and a half time, we have how many years? Three and a half. You'll also notice referenced in our text this morning, 1290 days. And so as you read through the book of Daniel, you're going to see that 1290 days computes to three and a half years. And so there are a lot of references. It's almost like it's written in code. And so you have to be able to break the code down to understand what it is that Daniel is saying. We see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 6, it says, The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's twelve hundred and sixty days. And then we look and we say, okay, well, there's a 30-day difference between Daniel and Revelation. But at the end of our text, we also see a reference to 1,335 days. So now we have anywhere from 30 to 45 days of play. We don't know exactly what is going to happen in that time period. We know that scripture tells us that those who attain to the 1,335 days will be blessed. And so I would assume, as most scholars do, that that 30 to 45-day time period is perhaps the restoration of Israel and the setting up of the millennial kingdom here on earth. We don't know for sure. We can't know for sure. It's one of those mysteries that is packed in Scripture. There are many things that are occurring now and many things that have occurred in the past that are laying the groundwork for this great tribulation period that the world is going to experience. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, John tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. Now let's pause here for a minute. John was writing in the first century over 2,000 years ago, John is telling believers the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. So if 2,000 years ago the spirit of the Antichrist was in the world, then friends, today it is running rampant through our society. And you see it all the time. All you have to do is turn on the news. If we go back and we look at history, there are so many incredible things that we can read, that we can research, that when we hold it up to Scripture, we say, wow, these prophecies have really come true. We are watching Scripture unfold. We're watching prophecy unfold before our very eyes. And if you are not already a student of history, I would encourage you to become a student of history because it is absolutely fascinating. And so this morning, I want you to take a look with me at Matthew chapter 24, verse 34. Jesus says in this passage, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. This generation that Jesus is speaking of is commonly referred to as the fig tree generation. And to understand that terminology, we have to read a little bit further up in what Jesus was saying. 
He said, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise you, when you shall see all of these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And so I think that it is safe to say the generation that Jesus is speaking about in Matthew chapter 24 is going to see the signs from the very beginning to the end. They're going to see the entirety of the signs till all these things be fulfilled. And so there's been a lot of speculation over the years. Well, how long is a generation? So what is it? What generation is it that Jesus is talking about? We can look back in the Old Testament at men like Methuselah. He lived 969 years. Could you even imagine? Some of us can't even imagine living another 25 or 30 saying, Jesus, come quickly. 969 years. But if we go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 90, verse 10, here's what it says. The days of our years are three score years and ten. So now I have to do a little bit more math. You didn't know you were coming to, to school this morning. Three score years and ten. A score is 20 years. So three times 20 plus 10. So we have 70 years. The days of our years are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they be four score years. So now we have 80 years. So we can say that it's safe to say a generation 70 or 80 years, but here's what the end of that verse says. For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. How many of you are ready to fly away? For it is soon cut off, and we fly away. So let's assume the generation that Jesus is referring to lasts 70 to 80 years. Well, which generation is it that he's talking about that is lasting 70 to 80 years? We know that Jesus wasn't referring to believers who were living in the first century because these signs were not fulfilled then. And so we look at where we are now and we have to say, okay, who is it that Jesus is talking about? Jesus references a fig tree. The fig tree that Jesus is referring to in Matthew chapter 24 is in reference to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And what is it that Jesus says? When the fig tree buds, when the fig tree blossoms, you know that summer is nigh. So when you begin to see these things, guess what? You are at the door. Now I want to take you back with a little bit of history this morning to May 14, 1940. Eight. Israel became officially a nation. The state of Israel was formally established. Jesus said, when the fig tree buds, when the fig tree blossoms, summer is near. Friends, we are at the door. Now let's go back to the year before Israel became a nation, before they were formally a state. In November of 1947, the United Nations decided that they were going to deem the city of Jerusalem as corpus separatum, which is Latin for a separated body. Their goal was that the United Nations would control the politics and the legal status and all of those things over the city of Jerusalem. Even after the state of Israel was formed,
formally established, many nations refused to recognize the sovereignty of Israel over the city of Jerusalem. And so this is a city that has just been caught in the midst of so much over the years. And so now we fast forward to May 14th, 2018, on the 70th anniversary of the Israeli Declaration of Independence. Here's what happens. The President of the United States recognizes the city of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and demands that the U.S. Embassy be moved from Tel Aviv, where? To Jerusalem. Now, this makes the Israelis happy. They're rejoicing. But you have Palestinians who are in an uproar. And so this takes us back to the book of Genesis. Takes us all the way back to Abraham, to his sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And I'm not going to get into that for the sake of time this morning. But friends, all of these things are significant in playing a part in end time prophecy. And here is why. We know that the Jews will return to their homeland. This will and must happen to fulfill final Bible prophecy. I want you to listen for a minute in Ezekiel chapter 39 this morning, starting at verse 25. Here's what it says. Therefore, thus says the Lord, now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget their disgrace and all their treachery which they perpetrated against me when they live securely where? On their own land with no one to make them afraid. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gathered them again to their own land. Israel will gather together in her homeland. And friends, this morning, we stand with Israel. We stand with Israel, and here is why. In Numbers chapter 24, verse 9, Scripture tells us that whoever blesses Israel will be blessed, and whoever curses Israel will be cursed. And I don't know about you, I want to be blessed. Are you with me this morning? We stand with the nation of Israel. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, well, where are we on the prophetic timeline? Where are we in terms of what is going to happen next according to the scripture? The next great prophetic event is going to be the rapture of the church, followed by the seven-year period of the great tribulation. We know that the great tribulation is going to be the worst thing that has ever happened on the face of this earth. And if you and I were to imagine our worst possible day, it would pale in comparison to what these seven years are going to look like during the tribulation. If we go back to Daniel chapter 11, Daniel has this final vision. And this vision that he has is so incredibly intense, he faints. He passes out with his face down to the ground because he sees all that's going to unravel, all that God is going to have to do to the nation of Israel because of their disobedience. Then we go to verse 1 of chapter 12. 
And it tells us that there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And it says, and at that time, your people, everyone who is written in the book, will be rescued. The time of the great tribulation will be terrible. It will be awful. No one will be able to stand unless the days be shortened. The prophet Jeremiah referred to this time as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 22, And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, they shall be shortened. These are the days that we read about in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, with the blowing of the trumpets, with the opening of the scrolls, with the bowls of God's wrath being poured out in judgment over the earth. In verse 10, it tells us that many will be purged, purified, and refined, but the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. And friends, I want to tell you this morning, whether you're here or you're tuning in with us online, there are so many people who think, you know what, I can just wait to put my hope and my trust in Jesus because if everything that these people have been telling me all about is true and he really does come back for them, well, then I'll just give my heart to him during the tribulation. <clears throat> Friends, you are not guaranteed a tomorrow. So you need to make today the day of your salvation. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, it speaks of the prince that is to come. The prince that Daniel chapter 9 refers to is the Antichrist himself. We know according to scripture that the Antichrist will be a man of great political power. He will be a religious type of leader. He will be highly respected and revered. And his goal will be to establish a one world government, a one world religion, and a one world currency. Now, I want to take you back. We, we've talked about how history is so important, but so are current events. And I'll tell you what's really interesting about this is as I was studying this week and I was trying to look up this particular document that we're going to talk about in just a minute, every search engine that I used to try and access this document, a message came up on my computer that said, Access Denied. Access Denied. Deny. You do not have permission to view this website. The document that I was trying to research was drafted in 2015 by the United Nations, and it is referred to as the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. Now, I pulled a very minuscule part out of this document because it is extremely lengthy, but I would encourage you when you go home to research the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and read the wording that is in there. It is frightening. It is scary. And here are a few excerpts from that 2030 Agenda, which is commonly referred to as the New Agenda or the 2015, the 15-year the, the unity plan. Here's what it says in Section 5. These are universal goals and targets which involve the entire world, developed and developing countries alike. They are integrated and indivisible. 
Section 33, sustainable development cannot be realized without peace and security. And peace and security will be at risk without sustainable development. What is the Antichrist going to promise? Seven years of peace. Section 39, the scale and ambition of the new agenda requires a revitalized global partnership to ensure its implementation. We fully commit to this. This partnership will work in a spirit of global solidarity, in particular solidarity with the poorest and with people in vulnerable situations. It will facilitate an intensive global engagement in support of implementation of all goals and targets, bringing together governments, private sectors, civil society, and the United Nations system and other actors mobilizing all available resources. And the final one is found in section 51. What we are announcing today, an agenda for global action for the next 15 years, is a charter for people and planet in the 21st century. Children and young women and men are critical agents of change and will find in the new goals a platform to channel their infinite capacities for activism into the creation of a better world. I would challenge you to go home and research the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and mark down how many times you see the word global and how many times you see the word universal. My friends, the Antichrist is going to promise a one-world government, a one-world religion, and a one-world currency. And you are already being conditioned for it. It's not going to take you by surprise. I would challenge you to go home and read it. And I also believe that the Antichrist is alive and well in our world today. There are many who have said, well, it could be this one, it could be that one, he could come from this country, he could come from that country, I don't care where he's coming from, I don't care who he is, I just know he's here. And I know I don't want to meet him. I want to be with Jesus when he comes back. Are you with me this morning? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 12 speaks of the revealing of the man of lawlessness. And so when you read about the man of lawlessness in Scripture, when you read about the son of perdition, that is referring to the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4, it says, He who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself to be God. He's, this, this is a part of scripture that's referred to as the abomination of desolation, where he stands in the temple of God and proclaims that he alone is the one true God. We see this in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. It says, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days, three and a half years. If we go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse 6, here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. And you know what restrains him now. He's talking about the Antichrist. What restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Are you seeing it today? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is it that Paul is referring to? 
It's referring to the Holy Spirit. Remember Jesus ascended into heaven, said, I'm going to send you a comforter. The day of Pentecost came, 120 are gathered in that upper room. The Holy Spirit is poured out, empowers believers to go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all of the things that Jesus commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The same command that he's given to this church and each and every church that he calls his bride. And so the Holy Spirit has remained with us. Throughout this church age, aren't you thankful for the power of the Spirit? And so when the church of Jesus Christ is raptured on that glorious day, guess what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going with his church. He's going with us. And at that time, he will be taken out. And what will happen? The man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the Antichrist will be revealed. Then, verse 8, that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. We can just stop there. We can just shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the victory. But Paul goes on. He says that is the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And it is for this reason, Paul tells us, that God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but to pleasure in wickedness. Friends, don't wait to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. We can also read in scripture about the little horn. The Antichrist is also referred to as the little horn. Little denotes a small beginning but a horn reveals great power. And so anytime you're reading about that little horn, you are reading about the Antichrist who is going to have a great military at his disposal, at his command. We jump over to Revelation chapter 13. There is a lot that is packed into this chapter. And I know I've given you a lot of scripture references this morning, but I want you to see how this plays out through all of scripture from the beginning to the end. And there's so much that's packed into Revelation chapter 13. I want to read it with you this morning just to give you some insight on the Antichrist and the false prophet. John says that I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast. This first beast that he refers to is the Antichrist himself. I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The dragon that John is referring to is Satan himself, who is giving the Antichrist all of his power and all of his authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. Can you imagine what the world is going to think when his deadly wound is healed, just like that? 
They worshipped the dragon which gave power to the beast. So they worshipped who? They worshipped Satan who gave power to the beast. They worshipped the beast saying who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. How long is forty and two months? Three and a half years. He opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. That's you and I. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. But how many of you know we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our very testimony? Thank you, Jesus. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life this morning? If any man have an ear, let him hear. John is urging the church, if you have an ear, listen to what it is that the Spirit is saying. Verse 10 of Revelation chapter 13. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And behold, I beheld another beast. Now the second beast that John refers to is the false prophet. So when you're reading about that, you know he's referring to the false prophet. He's coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him. So he exercised all the power of the Antichrist and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast, to worship the Antichrist, whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And deceiveth them that dwell on earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image or a statue to the beast, and they would worship him. And he goes on, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So those who refuse to worship this idol, he's going to have killed. Verse 16, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or on their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, save that he had that mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, John says. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. Six hundred sixty-six. Six, six, six. I can remember when I was in college, we were getting ready for a missions convention. It's around uh, October, and so we went into a party city store to get some decorations to set up for this missions convention, and so we were going to have tables from all these different countries and flags and all kinds of things, and so a friend of mine and I went into this party store, and as soon as we walked into the store, of course, they were getting ready for Halloween, and so there was just this eerie, you know, 
presence as soon as you walked in, just this eerie music playing. And I looked at my friend and I said, we're getting what we need and we are getting out of here because I do not like how it feels in the store. We gathered together what we needed. We took it up to the register and the girl uh, gave me my total. And before she gave it to me, I looked on the register and my total was $6.66. I threw the money at her and took off running out of the store. I did not want to be in there very much longer. So the second piece is going to cause people to take a mark. That word cause in the original text in the Greek means he's going to make or he's going to force you to take a mark so that you can buy and sell and trade and so on and so forth. I've had conversations over the past couple of months with people about the mark. And they said, well, what if I take it by accident? Friends, the mark is not something you're going to take by accident. It is something that is going to be willfully done so that you can buy and sell. Okay? The mark of the beast. We know, according to Revelation 20, verse 4, that those who refuse to receive the mark will be executed. John says that I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and who had not worshipped the beast nor his image nor had received his mark upon their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Are you looking forward to that thousand year reign? And so we see the rise of the Antichrist. We see the peace treaty, the covenant that he makes with Israel and breaks after three and a half years. We see the rise of the false prophets. And many say that the false prophet, the Antichrist and the dragon is symbolic of an evil trinity. Okay? We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the only true trinity. But something amazing is going to happen during this time of great tribulation. God is going to send two witnesses. He is going to send two witnesses, and according to Revelation chapter 7, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, Revelation chapter 11, they're going to prophesy for 42 months. How long? Three and a half years. They're going to prophesy. And so we, we look at that, they will be protected by supernatural fire that comes out of their mouth. God's going to give them power so that it's not going to rain on the earth during the time that they are prophesying. But these two witnesses are going to be killed. Their bodies are going to be laid out on display in the city of Jerusalem for all to see. But Jesus is going to resurrect their bodies and every eye is going to see them. They will ascend in a cloud to heaven. We know that there are going to be 144,000 Jews that are going to be chosen from the 12 tribes of Israel. And here is something I think is incredibly amazing. They're going to have a mark on their forehead, signifying that they are servants of the Most High God. No one will be able to touch them. No one will be able to destroy them. No one will be able to kill them. And what I think is so incredible about this is that God places a mark to seal his promise of protection over those that he loves. And what does the Antichrist do? He offers a counterfeit. 
hey, if you get this mark, you're going to be able to buy and sell and trade. Your life's going to be great, but you're going to be doomed to eternal damnation. These 144,000 are going to go into all of the world, and we are going to see the most incredible, the greatest revival that this world has ever seen. You and I have seen great revivals. We've heard about great revivals that our nation has seen and that this world has seen in our heart is, Lord, send us another great awakening. Send us another great revival. But friends, this revival that these 144,000 are going to bring is going to be so incredible. If we look in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we're not going to be able to count the people that are coming to Jesus. John said, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. What an amazing day. What an amazing sight that is going to be. In closing, I want us to go back to our text in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 13. The Lord says this to Daniel. He says, as for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. And I love that the book of Daniel ends this way. God is saying to Daniel, Daniel, go your way. Go about your life. I've given you the vision. Now seal it up for the end of time. Don't get caught up in all of these prophecies. Don't get caught up in the mystery of what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. Know that this is the vision. Prepare your heart for it. Watch and be ready for the soon and coming return of Jesus. That's what you need to be focused on. There are so many in our world today that get so hung up on exactly what's going to happen and exactly what point in time in the future. And the last thing they're concerned about is their heart being ready for the return and rapture of the church. Are your hearts ready this morning? Earlier in verse 4 of Daniel chapter 12, the Lord says, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Seal the book to the time of the end. Many will run to and fro and knowledge will be increased. Now when we read that, we think, okay, well, travel is increasing. People are going to be traveling all over the place. But when you look at the original text, when you look at the original Hebrew, it's referring to someone who was earnestly seeking truth. You're going to run to and fro, earnestly seeking truth. And in the end times, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I found this book, and you're not going to believe all of the things that I've been reading in it. These are all of the things that we're seeing happen right now. What are you going to do? You're going to get a copy of the book and your eyes are going to go to and fro and back and forth reading from start to finish all of the prophecies that you're seeing unfold before your very eyes. Moving to and fro and knowledge will increase. I've given you a lot to think about this morning. A lot of things to chew on, a lot of scriptures to go back and research for yourself. And I've said all of that to bring you to this one verse. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 28, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift your heads for your redemption draweth. When these things begin to come to pass, 
Lift up your eyes because your redemption is near. In the Greek, the word tribulation is the word philipsis. And it literally means that which can crush the life out of one who is afflicted. That's what the tribulation is going to be. That which can crush the life out of one who is afflicted. It's the idea in biblical times of a large millstone that was used to grind grain and pulverize it until it became flour. During those seven years, the judgment of God will be unleashed upon the earth. The time of Jacob's trouble, what an awful day it will be. You can go back and you can read in Jeremiah chapter 25 and 2 Thessalonians that during that time, there will be no place to hide and no way of escape. No place to hide and no way of escape. And there's a lot as we read through Scripture that is intended to literally scare the hell out of us. That's the goal. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be here. I sat in bed last night and I said, Lord, please come soon. Please come soon. When you see the beginning of these signs, lift up your eyes because your redemption draweth nigh. There is coming a day that no one can imagine. But listen to this assurance that we have in 2 Peter chapter 2. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials. Aren't you thankful for that? Even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. We can have the assurance that God will save us. We can have the assurance that God will resurrect us. We can have the assurance that God will spare us and protect us in the day of trouble. Are your hearts ready for his return? We're going to observe communion this morning. And so if you didn't get a cup on your way, and I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand. I'm going to ask Darren to go and, and bring you your communion elements so that we can observe communion together this morning. As we're preparing for that today, know that Paul gives us a warning to prepare our hearts before we observe communion. That if there is anything within us that would hinder us from coming into the presence of God, that we should bring it before him. We should ask him for forgiveness. You know, the night that Jesus was betrayed by his friends, he sat at a table with all of them. He broke bread with them shared wine with them. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my body which is broken for you. Would you take a moment this morning just to close your eyes, just to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made for you this morning. That the wrath of God the Father was poured 
was representative of his body that very soon would be broken and beaten and battered and bruised beyond recognition for them. Jesus, we thank you for your body this morning. We thank you for your willingness to go to Calvary in our place, to take the sin of the world upon you so that we could experience everlasting life. Scripture assures us, friends, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. It assures us of that. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that sacrifice this morning. Friends, would you take and eat the body of Christ this morning that was broken for you? Father, I thank you for all of the signs and prophecies that you've given us in Scripture to prepare. 
ready? Would you make us ready for your soon and coming return? And all of us people shouted, Amen. listening to Victor Christian Center's audio podcast. We look forward to connecting with you on our social media or at FCCFMD.com.